Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. And hello again, everybody. Welcome to another edition of THN on the Q, brought to you by BetMGM. And the playoffs are not only alive, but they are well in the queue. We've had our first slate of games take place over the past weekend. Um, fair warning right off the top on two things. First of all, we are recording on Tuesday night. It's about 8.30 Atlantic time, uh, 7.30 Eastern. So uh, games are currently underway as we speak. And we're going to be talking uh, about all the series, some of them not so much, some of them a little more in depth, depending on the amount of drama we've experienced so far. Um, but we will keep you updated on scores, even though you're going to be watching that, listening to this uh, or watching it after all of the games have been decided. You can get some real-time reaction. And who wouldn't want real-time reaction from either myself or from Jamie? Uh, and the other thing, too, that we're going to mention right off the bat, if you enjoy that real-time action, you're not going to get it next week because uh, we are taking the week off. Um, specifically, I'm taking yeah, the week we, off. What do you uh, mean we, we are taking Well, uh, we, you know, we could, we could have an episode <laughs> next week because not all of us are leaving oh, okay. the country. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I uh, I will be down in the sunny south. I was supposed to go before Christmas. Some of our more faithful listeners, um, you know, high swashbuckler, um, may remember that uh, the last episode before Christmas, there was talking me uh, <laughs> flying the coop for Jamaica. That trip uh, uh, did not exactly go as planned. Uh, WestJet had other ideas, and it's been it been postponed. So I'm taking my Christmas trip at Easter now. And um, Jamie just plain old doesn't want to record the show next week. So uh, we'll be back in two weeks' time with uh, all the recap of the first round. And by then, we should be probably about, I don't know, Jamie, probably about halfway through the second round, I guess. So, yeah. All that being said, um, first round, like I say, uh, underway. Game three of all of those series taking place as we speak. Um, some of your surprises, Jamie, and maybe some things that just, you know, as expected. Yeah. Like the, the top four teams that we kind of knew were probably going to run away with the first round series. Uh, I think those are kind of gone. Like we expected, uh, you know, Gatineau, Sherbrooke, Quebec, uh, Halifax, uh, for the most part, um, uh, kind of where we thought, I think Halifax may be a little bit surprising. I don't think we've quite mm-hmm. seen, um, the best from them, but full credit to the Eagles. They've, They've looked pretty good in uh, these first two games, really given uh, the Moosehead to push. Um, certainly, I think Moncton Bay Camo is looking pretty tight, and I think we kind of knew that that was going to be a tight one, but it's certainly maybe a little bit closer than we expected. Uh, Ramuski Shikutami, you know, that was kind of viewed as a coin flip, and Ramuski looks like they might um, run away with that one if things kind of continue the way they're going. Um, and then Ruan Aranda Schwinnigan as well has been a little bit of a surprise. You know, Schwinnigan could easily have a two nothing series lead um, in that series mm-hmm. if not for a, a pretty wild comeback for by the Huskies in uh, in that first game. So a uh, few surprises, but uh, I've really enjoyed the first round. I, I'm not a huge fan of the first round, like I've talked about before. Um, but this year, it's it's looking pretty good. 
Yeah, uh, there, there's been uh, some unusually uh, close series, as you mentioned, Jamie. Um, you know, the ones that were the easiest to predict, I guess you'd say. You know, um, Quebec two games none up over Charlottetown. As we speak, they have a three nothing lead over the Islanders in Game Three, midway through the second. Uh, Sherbrooke with a three nothing lead over uh, the Armada early in the or late in the first, I should say. They have a two nothing series lead. Again, as expected, uh, St. John hanging in there against Gatineau. One-one's the score there in uh, in uh, St. John. Uh, the latter stages of the second period, but of course Gatineau with that two-nothing lead and a and a nine-nothing drubbing in Game Two up in Gatineau. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about Halifax and Cape Breton because you know we all we we said and so did Corey Arsnow uh, uh, when he was on uh, the show last week. You know. Yes, Halifax should win that series, and they're up two games to none in that series. And as we speak right now, they're up 3-1 in game two, uh, just over the halfway point in that game. Um, Alex Doucette, by the way, with a hat trick, uh, a natural hat trick in that one so far. Uh, but um, it hasn't been easy. And you know, the hasn't been easy part is the least surprising portion of this. Uh, uh, but how they wound up getting to the spot that they're in, Jamie, um, the Moose heads, um, certainly in a manner nobody expected. And, you know, you were in the building Saturday night. I was watching. Um, there was a lot there that took place that could have really and could still really haunt the Eagles and, and really affect them for the rest of the series. Yeah, and I, I I can't help but feel a little bit like the Eagles maybe blew a chance to really get in this series. Um, I think you know obviously if they'd won that game, very could very potentially be a long series. Um, I could see that you know if they'd won maybe going six, maybe seven games. But now I, I don't know how long this is going to go. I think the Eagles really really lost a, a big opportunity to really get into this series. Um, a great, they had great starts in both games. I thought that first game, Mathis Russo, I thought really kept the Mooseheads in it in the first period at times. And um, fortunately for Halifax, they connected on the chances they did get. Um, but that second game, you know, similar start for Cape Breton, but they were able to, to actually score thanks to Ivan Ivan. Um, a hat trick for him, really great performance. Um, but the game completely turned probably the halfway point of the third period or the second period. And it was pretty much all moose heads from there, even though there was those controversial goals um, and non goals I you know, I, I still felt like Halifax, you know, arguably deserved to win that game anyway, because they really dominated the second half of that, uh, of that period. Um, certainly some interesting calls though. I think the, the do set ones probably the most controversial, um, I think if I was in charge completely and I probably wouldn't have called that a goal. Um, mm -hmm. But I, it's one of those plays though at the same time, like I could, I can kind of see the argument going both ways and um, you know, I could have seen that really going, going both ways. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, yeah. I, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you, uh, Jamie, um, you know, could the Eagles, if the Eagles had a one game too, I think they would have been, it would have been commendable, and they they would have been maybe not full marks, but certainly deserving of the win based on how they played in the first half of that game. Mm -hmm. um, the goal, I agree. I don't think it necessarily should have counted. Um, but that being said, you know, it was scored with just under a minute to go and just the way the momentum was shifting and the pressure the Moosehead's were putting on, uh, you know, you, you know, 
it's hindsight, obviously, uh, and, and you know, trying to deal in we're dealing in hypotheticals, or I am when I say this. But who's to say that the Mooses wouldn't just storm back and score yeah. again? You know, mm-hmm. just undaunted. And and it's such a tricky thing. You know, players at this age, um, you know, the organizations. You know, maybe sometimes the organizations get a little more swept up in things than uh, the players themselves. And you know, it's such a fine line you have to walk. You lose a game like that against a heated rival, a team you had a three nothing lead on, and it's almost like you've maybe you should go out of your way to just make sure that you know, in spite of whatever you may think of what happened. You know, quite frankly, if I was in the if, if I was behind the bench. Um, or, you know, in, in, in any way, shape or form affiliated with that Eagles organization, I would have felt very frustrated after all that had happened in that, uh, in the latter stages of that game. Um, but at the end of the day, you kind of got to suck it up. You got to bottle it up and, you know, the more, the more emotion that you show, I think, uh, for, you know, these kids, these kids are impressionable. Um, the, the more, detrimental it can be um and who's to say what actually happened but i think it'd be a safe bet to say that it would have been hard for the organization as a whole to uh come away with a very neutral uh neutral opinion and to keep it under wraps we've all been around teams before we we know people are passionate and yeah. that's not a bad thing but sometimes sometimes it can it can do uh, as much harm as good um, and the Eagles, to their credit, tonight came out very well in the first period. I was watching uh, a good deal of that first period. Had a one nothing lead. They're now down 3-1, but um, have been making a series of it throughout. And, you know, if they can at least, you know, even if they can pick up a win in the next uh, couple of games at home and just, you know, give themselves some momentum and just something that they can even build with going into the off offseason, um, I think it's going to mean a lot, really. Yeah. Much, and much like really it was good home record too. Exactly, and a really good home record, and recently beat Halifax at home as well mm-hmm. in a game that meant a lot to Halifax. So there's a lot of things that could go their way. Um, for the Mooseheads, maybe it's not so bad to have a challenge this early in the playoffs. Yeah, kind of a good tonic going forward yeah. that maybe the other three top teams aren't going to get. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's the uh, story in uh, Nova Scotia. I want to talk about two series at once here, partly to you know get get the ball rolling here, but also because there's a lot of similarities. One is the uh, Moncton Bacon Mo series. The other one's Rand Rand and Chewinigan, a se- series in which their uh, overtime has featured prominently. Moncton won Game One in overtime at home. Moncton lost Game Two in double overtime at home. And by the way, just as a very quick aside, people of Moncton. Go to the friggin' rink. Like, that was pitiful. There's I'm no sorry. Parking, you know. Like, uh, sorry, yes, there's no parking. <laughs> you know what? Um, you know, just go to the rink. Like, if you got to take a bus, and I mean, buses in Moncton come around like as often as like the seasons, yeah. I get it. But just find a way, carpool, do something. That looks embarrassing. Like, you're a better hockey city than that. Go to the rink. This is a good team. Your team has home ice advantage for the first time in six years. Got the rink. Anyway, they may not get to go back to the rink because this is a 2-3-2 series, and the next three are in Bay Camo. They do have a one nothing lead late in the first period over the draft girl. I'll say that much. Over on the other side, Shawinigan and Randaranda, as you already mentioned, Jamie, Shawinigan has given it to the Huskies, and very admirably so. First two games, 
took double overtime for Rin Randa to win game one. They lost game two in regulation. They're up 2 nothing in Schwinnigan in game three right now, late in the first as we speak. But again, 2-3-2 two, two series, and we've seen it before in this league. In those sort of scenarios, things can easily go downhill for the team that has home ice advantage. Yeah, I think I'm I'm a little more concerned about uh, I'm not well I'm not really concerned about the Wildcats just yet. Depending on how these next couple games play out, I think if they go back to Moncton down in the series, I would be concerned. But I, so I I, th- I think them picking up two wins is is pretty crucial here, um, and that's not going to be easy. Baycomo is a really challenging building, um, you know, on a on middle of the week in November. Um, and it's going to be really challenging in the middle of the playoffs. Middle, so. middle of the week in April. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, this Ruin Aranda series, though, I'm a little concerned about the Huskies. I, I think, yeah. um, as I mentioned, Schwinnigan could have easily won both of those games. Um, and as we all know, uh, Schwinnigan is not an easy place to play in the playoffs. They're, they're a no. fan base that shows up. Um, this is, and especially where they're, uh, tied in this series and the fans there know that they could be up to nothing and they're going to show up for these games. Uh, this is going to be a really challenging uh, next three games for Rand Rand, I think. Um, I certainly think the Huskies still have a shot in this series, but it's, it's going to be, I think a, a tougher road than a lot of us maybe expected. Yeah, definitely. Um, and with Antoine Coulomb, uh, you know, back in net and being his usual steady self, that's uh that's a tricky task. I mean, and, and of course, you know, we, we will, I'll reinforce the fact that the Huskies do have a two, one, two, nothing. Sorry. First period lead as we, as we speak, but you know, this is a very pesky Schwinnigan team and uh, anything can happen. And in a tough building, as you said, Jamie, and um, then there was the biggest, I almost, I, I don't want to say the biggest surprise, but you know, we had a guy on the broadcast last week who mentioned that um, Shawinigan or that the Shkumi Segnia are like virtually unbeatable at home. And, you know, you can't beat them on the big ice. Impossible. And, actually and impossible. I forget who that is actually impossible. Yeah. And I really, I, I question whether we should bring that person back um, because they really disillusioned a lot of our listeners because, you know, the Ramuski Oceanic, they just walked in. And uh, took control of that series. Two nothing Oceanic in games right now into game three, uh, a game in which the Oceanic have a one nothing lead after one period. But you know, all joking aside, by the and by the way, if we haven't figured it out yet, um, uh, Mr. Tozer here um, was. So I won't be next year, next week. That's but, but in all in all fairness, in all fairness, I was very impressed when you pulled that stat out uh, last week. Like, wow, that's. That's a really good point. Maybe that will make all the difference. So we're idiots. And, um, uh, you know, for two teams that finished a point apart in the standings, we shouldn't be that surprised, I suppose. But in a way, it's like, you know, I wondered where the offense was going to come from Ramuski because it sputtered throughout the year. They relied so heavily on the defense. And as Corey Arsenault mentioned, Patrick Hammerlaw, excellent goaltender between the pipes for Ramuski, But, you know, He's had a couple of off nights uh, throughout the season, and it turns out that everything clicked those first two games in Chikudmi for for the Knicks. Yep, I've seen this series before. Last year, when Ramuski mm-hmm. beat St. John in five games, it looks kind of similar to what happened there. Um, you know, a couple of close a close game in the first one uh, that went to overtime, and then Ramuski really found it their groove in that second game. Um, and like that series last year. 
Um, Ramuski is not, you know, the biggest offensive team, but when they get chances, they just bury them. Uh, two for four on the power play in the first game, three for six on the power play in the second game. Um, <laughs> I've, I've seen this series before, Will. It does not end well for the other team. Um, yep. So, you know, full credit to Ramuski. Like, they – they clearly buy into whatever system they need to do to, to win in the playoffs. Um, yeah. Uh, but I think, you know, if they do win this series and obviously we're looking ahead here a little bit, um, they need to kind of make a leap to the next, the next, uh, the next step here. If, uh, if they want to show that they're progressing in this build. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, um, I think Shikudemi did that a lot during the regular season, mm-hmm. probably more so than Ramuski. Um, and Shikudemi really by right should be a year behind in their build compared to where Ramuski was. Ramuski's peak was supposed to be 2000, uh, 2020. Their peak was in 2000, by the way. They won the Memorial Cup with Brad Richards. But uh, their their latest peak was supposed to be 2020, whereas, of course, Shikumi has strong teams the following year as well. Um, so to see, maybe seeing the quote-unquote older of the two building teams with the series lead, again, shouldn't be surprising. But I think it just caught, when you put all the variables together and then see what the result was, that's really as much as anything what's uh, caught the attention. I know it's caught my attention. I'm sure it's caught yours as well, Jamie. Yeah. Um, yeah. So to, to close out just quickly here, Victoriaville and Drummondville, one series we haven't talked about. Um, I'm not going to profess myself to be a genius because too many people I know listen to this. However, I said something last week and I almost kind of believed myself when I said it. And it was beware of the good team with the bad regular season record. Do I have any? If I was still to predict right now, will the Drumville Voltageur win this series? The answer is still no. Will they make more of a series of it than what I think a lot of people uh, would say? And I've talked to a couple of people who you know watched the league regularly, and they weren't expecting much from from yeah. Drummondville. But you look back on how Victoriaville finished their season, and yeah. Drummondville <clears throat> kind of put it together as well as they could possibly put it together uh, towards the tail end of their year. Tied 1-1, and Ramuski and uh, Victoriaville uh, had to go to overtime to win that first game. I guess I'm not as surprised at the results so far as, as I would be. I'd, be. I'd just be surprised if uh, Drumville finds a way to win the series. Yeah, and I, I just like I'm, I'm curious to see. How, I was I was curious heading into the playoffs how Drumville was going to play, just because you know they had such a just a bad year, you know, they obviously had some bad luck, but just overall just a bad year uh, on the ice, but this was, you know, a completely fresh start. Like the, you know, the regular season really doesn't matter a whole lot now. Um, mm-hmm. You know, everything that happened can kind of be forgotten about if they succeed in the playoffs. Um, so, I mean, so far it's looking pretty good, um, but I'm, I wouldn't count Victoriaville out of it just yet, as you said. Mm-hmm. And this is a fun series too, because just because they're geographically close rivals too. So I'm oh, sure, yes. uh, I'm sure the fans are uh, are are quite into this series as well. Yeah, no, long time rivals for sure. And uh, ironically, uh, Drumville has a two nothing lead after one period in Game Three. So I guess uh, I guess Drum uh, Victo beating Drummondville is the hill I'm dying on in the first round, uh, Jamie. Just for uh, uh, to make that official, but uh, interesting to see how all these series uh, pan out. Of course, Game Four, uh, all the Game Fours uh, take place uh, tomorrow night, Wednesday night. Uh, by the time this podcast is uploaded, we won't have any series winners, but we may have uh, safe, very safe bet that we'll have a, a few teams that are 
just one step away from punching their ticket to round two. Uh, moving on, let's talk about a couple of teams that aren't in the playoffs. Uh, the only two that didn't make it, in fact, Valdor Fur and the Yankee Bathurst Titan. In Valdor, Maxime Delrucio, uh, who is the head coach, is now also the GM in Valdor. Uh, he takes over for uh, Pascal Daou, who was uh, terminated late in the uh, previous season. He was the architect of the 2021 team. That went to the finals in the bubble playoffs and lost to Victoriaville. Um, I don't know. It just seems like uh, uh, a situation. I suppose it just seems to be. I guess you know the other shoe dropping uh, in terms of that whole turn of events. Um, and also just to just to throw two stories at one here to economize on time a little bit. Um, of course, there's been talk about uh, Quebec businessman Steve Leal's uh, bid to purchase a team in the queue and relocate it. Um, turns out that his bid to purchase the Acti Bathurst Titan has failed. Lee didn't really go into many specifics, um, but he is, uh, Mr. Leal is uh, very much determined to put a team in Quebec, kind of close, uh, maybe close to Montreal. Of course, he's the guy that's also behind the uh, uh, rumors of putting a team in Trois-Rivières that we've discussed earlier. Uh, there's a new rink in the Saint-Jean-Sur-Richelieu area. Uh, talking that talking about putting in a team in that location. So both of those stories, uh, Jamie, uh, what are some of your thoughts? Well, certainly a, a big off season for Valdor. This is kind of the, the still in the early stage of this rebuild and they're going to have a, at least one high draft pick. Uh, they have St. John's lottery pick from the, the John Lemieux trade. So uh, big off season and a big draft for, uh, for Valdor uh, moving forward into the future. Um, now this Teton sale, um, it's an interesting one just because you have to think the league's trying to, um, accommodate Steve Lee a little bit. This is a guy who has, uh, deep, deep pockets. I think he's works for a company that would probably be a significant sponsor for this league as well. Um, mm -hmm. I have to think the league wants him involved if they can find him a role in some way, you'd have to think. Um, mm -hmm. but you know, where's that going to be? Um, and I think, you know, the issue with Bathurst and the issue has been for a long time is if they do end up moving out of uh, the Maritimes, that really throws a big problem into the division alignment, which seems like a small problem um, if you don't know the league's geography very well. But that's a pretty big issue um, for the schedule um, and would certainly create a lot of uh, either an unfavorable schedule in the Maritimes where there's a ton of, uh, well, even more playing of the same team. Um, or a lot more travel mm -hmm. in Quebec. So that's a, that's a big issue. And I, I have to think, too, one of the issues the league has to, um, is looking at the Winnipeg Ice issue um, in the WHL, where they moved that team with basically with the promise of a new arena within a few years. Um, and here we are a few right. years later. There's not even a shovel in the ground. There's not a deal in place or anything for a new arena. And they're still at a very, very small uh, university campus uh, rank. So... I, I don't think the league wants to get into an issue uh, where they move a team without a new arena guaranteed. No, no, definitely not. Now, the days of the days of the 1500 C arena in the queue are long since gone. Yeah. Um, in fact, there's even rules in place now that prevent that from even happening. Uh, after a couple of Moncton Wildcat playoff adventures, ironically, at the venerable J. Louis Levesque arena, but on the, on the university uh, campus. Home of the University of Moncton Blue Eagles, of course. Um, but 
yeah, uh, he's a guy that's he's not going to go away. You, you have to think, Steve Lyle. And I don't say that in a bad way at all. Uh, the more stable ownership and more powerful ownership that's uh, out there and interested in the league, I mean, that's that can only be a good thing in yep. a way. I mean, that's that just shows that your uh, your product is uh, catching the attention of the right people. So uh, we'll see where uh, Mr. Leal's name pops up next and uh, what uh, locations and what teams are uh, attached to it. Uh, speaking of teams and ownership, uh, the St. John Sea Dogs, a team that Jamie has a, a passing uh, knowledge of, um, had a press conference yesterday in which they uh, announced some shakeups. So uh, JSM Sports Entertainment, which is the parent company for the St. John Sea Dogs, a fairly recent development. Um, they've actually named Trevor Georgie, who is the former GM of the team, to the president and CEO role uh, within JSM Sport Management, which basically puts him as you know, the, the day-to-day head of operations uh, uh, with the dogs. Um, you know, Scott McCain, the uh, principal, longtime principal owner, is also a partner in JSM Sports Entertainment. So, of course, he will still uh, be playing a factor uh, in, the, uh, in the upper echelons of the organization, which means that a new GM was required, and that new GM was uh, swiftly named as uh, Anthony Stella, who's been uh, Trevor Georgie's assistant for uh, some time now, takes on the GM role in a full-time gig. And you know, the first thing I said, and I said this to you, Jamie, as soon as the announcement was made, it feels like a situation in which two principal people involved in Trevor Georgie and Anthony Stella are moving into roles that are much, you know, not to say that they, they were certainly not the worst people in their respective roles, but they seem to be going into really roles that are in their very much in their wheelhouse. Yeah. I think everyone, I think everyone kind of knew even when uh, Trevor Georgie took over as uh, president of the Sea Dogs uh, way back in 2016, I think we all knew that he probably wasn't going to be the lifetime president and GM of this club. And this certainly seems like the, the natural progression for him. Um, and this will be kind of a, an interesting little uh, venture for him. Uh, I'm curious to see what other, sports teams or venues or entertainment things they add to this portfolio um kind of reminds me a little bit of what the the simon family's doing with the mooseheads certainly sounds like the mooseheads are are the first part in a, a sports portfolio that they want to build so um mm. interesting little similarity there maybe a, maybe a trend that we'll start to see as well something we haven't seen a ton of uh, uh in junior hockey um, and these moves aren't the timing of these moves certainly aren't surprising because you know the way i view it and i'm sure a lot of other people do um, you know, obviously the, the biggest thing you can do in junior hockey is win a Memorial cup. I think, uh, the biggest, even bigger than that is winning a Memorial cup on home ice. I think that's kind of the, the peak of junior hockey and they, obviously the CEOs did that last year. So I'm not shocked to, uh, to see that move. Um, and then Stella, um, hasn't officially been named the GM yet, but we fully expect that to be uh, official, uh, maybe by the time this mm-hmm. podcast is out. Um, mm-hmm. a guy who has put in a ton of hours, this guy, uh, he goes to more rinks than me which is, uh, that's a lot of rings. I don't believe you. <laughs> he goes, he puts in hours. So, uh, you know, hard work really paid off for him. Very happy for him uh, to see him get this role. And again, certainly the natural progression for him. He's been the assistant GM, uh, been head scout for quite a while. Um, and a guy who, you know, ran the ran St. John's past few drafts. Um, so he knows this core group of C-Dogs um, extremely well. So, I, honestly, I don't think uh, a whole lot will change within the C-Dogs. It's more just uh, a shuffling of roles. 
Yeah, and a good point about, you know, whether or not this is a new trend, you know, as, as you know, maybe certain owners that are trying to get into the game, you know, maybe we count Steve Leal someday as, as another one of those owners. They they just, they, they're using their team in the queue as part of a larger portfolio, trying to divest things uh, as best they can. It uh, seems to be uh, maybe the way things are going. Um, and, and, you know, and as a quick shout out, of course, Scott McCain, the reason why there is a team, uh, in St. John, basically, you know, yeah, yeah, you don't want to say he's not getting any younger, but you know, I'm sure Scott wouldn't necessarily disagree with that uh, comment. Always a fun guy to talk to as well. And, uh, I know my years of, you know, covering the league, um, but you know, a guy that's also done everything that, uh, you possibly can in this, in this level of the sport. He's a two-time national champion champion. He's a three-time league champion. He's seen it all good times, bad times and everything in between. And, you know, to, to go into a more of a, um, a higher, more of a senior advisory uh, role, um, probably very fitting as he, uh, you know, as, as things maybe go even more on a day-to-day -day basis through, you know, Trevor Georgie and, and through uh, whomever else is going to be part of the uh, JSM family. Um, and before we get to the NHL team uh, profile, one other thing that should be of note, uh, this actually uh, um, made news in the league circles in the form of a press release that came out by the league responding to an article in uh, the Quebec media. Uh, a new hazing allegation has uh, been revealed. This involves a, a player by the name or a former player by the name of Carl Latulipe, uh, who played uh, for three teams in the queue, was originally drafted by Shikudmi back in 1994 as a first rounder, no less. Played only six games for Shikudmi, left the team and uh, left the team as it so turned out because of instances of abuse, uh, including sexual abuse. Um, so uh, uh, other players from that team, rookies from that Shikudmi team, have come out anonymously and corroborated uh, Carl's story and again you know the Q has reached uh, out with a statement uh, to the public saying that they have already begun investigating these allegations um, first of all our thoughts are with the victims um, you know it's a horrific thing that nobody should ever have to go through um, and you know they have our full support you know we've talked about others in the past you know players like you know Stephen Quirk being one of the main ones um, but the other side of it too, Jamie, that when I see this is first of all, you know, this is going to continue. It's going to get uglier as things go on. And unfortunately they're hard conversations, but they're necessary. And the first thing that I thought of was, you know, I'm very curious to see with a turnover at the very top of the league, um, what some of the responses are going to be from those people. Yeah, that will be interesting and to see what, you know, if uh, our, the new commissioner will bring any immediate changes to the league, that will definitely be interesting to follow. And certainly the Quebec government, you know, will be uh, be asking a lot of questions about it as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, these stories are, they're important when they come out, because uh, I think it's, it's important, even though they're rough reads, um, it's important to hear those, because I think that's kind of the, how change is going to happen, right? Um, yeah. And we talked a little bit about the last shit on the last uh, the last time we talked about the subject about how that shock factor is kind of gone now because there's so many of these stories coming out. But this one, this one was was pretty bad. Um, yeah. This one kind of brought back that that shock a little bit um, that we've yeah. maybe lost a little uh, over the last past few months. 
No, I, I agree. And, you know, you know, you, you can't force anybody to come out and uh, at least tell their story and especially, you know, tell their story with their name attached to it. Um, there's been a brave few that have done it. And, you know, you know Carl, Latulip, Stephen Quirk, guys like that. And, you know, back, even going back to the days of Sheldon Kennedy and, and, mm -hmm. and the like, you know, some people can do it. Some people can't. That's neither here nor there. But the more of these stories that get out, you know, does the shock value go away? You're right, Jamie, it does go away, which is kind of a sad commentary in its own right. But at the end of the day, the more stories that come out there, come out, um, the better it gets for everybody. And, uh, and, and I think it's a safe bet to say that uh, the people who have come out so far uh, believe in that mantra, or I, I, I hope they do. And I hope they realize that what they're doing is uh, helping the hockey community as a whole. And um, like I say, as the as time goes on, these stories aren't going away. Um, how they're handled um, will be very interesting. I hope I hope every every bit of positive support comes to all of these players uh, because they certainly deserve it. NHL team profiles. Let's talk about the Nashville Predators. Um, there is only one guy drafted in the queue um, that is a property of the Preds, but oh boy, is it a guy that we talk about quite a bit. Uh, for, for 2021 first round pick of Nashville, Mr. Zachary LaRue. Um, and, you know, I think, I, I think if you say his name in a mirror three times, you get suspended for four games. Oh, wow. I think, wow. I think that's what happens now. So uh, uh, our, our favorite guy to uh, discuss generally because he's sitting out a few games, but make no mistake about it, he is a guy who can literally put a team on his back and has all the talent in the world. Um, but sometimes I just I, – I'd love to sit down with a member of the Predator scouting staff or, you know, David Poyle on his way out now um, and just – what do you think of what do you think of young Zach? You know, what do you what do you think of some of the things going on here? Because I'm sure if you could do it off the record, you'd get some yeah, you get some opinions. <laughs> yeah. And you know, every every week I I mentioned, well, I'm fascinated to see what this guy does at the pro level, but I'm I'm really fascinated to see how his play it, kind of adjusts. How his play kind of adjusts because it's it, pretty is, like is, is it fascination in like the car crash theory where oh, you don't no. want to look, or is it fascinating <laughs> that how is he going to react to things? As yeah, a little he, bit of both, you know. probably. Because, <laughs> like, part of me wonders, like, is it maybe he's just like a little too like strong for junior hockey, and there's part of him that you know just hasn't been able to really dial it back um, enough, and maybe that in pro, maybe it'll balance out a little bit better. So, I'm curious mm -hmm. to see if maybe he's a better fit um, strength-wise at the pro level. Um, but I don't know, you know. We talk about him all the time. He's, he has all the skill in the world, um, has all, has the size. He's got everything. Um, it, it just seems like he just needs to, to find that, that right balance. Um, and we've seen guys do it. Um, you know, uh, a guy that people around here know, Brad Marchand, he's, yep. he's done a few things all right. He's found that balance. Um, so, it's, you know, he can certainly be an effective player at the pro level. Um, but he's just he's just got to do it. And I don't know if they showed it on the feed, by the way, at that Mooseheads game after the Mooseheads scored in overtime. LaRue, like, literally bolted off the ice and went down the tunnel, um, acting as if, like, in case that goal got reviewed or something, like, he wanted to go <laughs> <that> to count. 
<laughs> Which, by the way, it did get reviewed and was allowed yeah. to stand because yeah. every goal of the lot, every goal in that game felt like it got reviewed after three after all, all the Moose's goals. But anyway, um, yeah, answer and all joking aside, you know, he is one of the more talented players, certainly one of the more talented players in the league now, and one of the more talented players in even the last five or ten years. He's yeah. just so strong, um, all three zones pure pro potential it's going to be and i agree with you with you know all the with all seriousness it's going to be fascinating to see how he progresses because he could truly wind up being a star at any level um and then you know we'll quickly talk about the alumni in the nhl there's yakov trenin the former gatineau uh, center there's alex carrier the former gatineau defenseman and jeremy lozon the uh, former defenseman Miranda Miranda, who won a president cup in 2016 with those same Huskies. Um, 2023 draft prospect of the week. Uh, and we're going to go back to Randa Randa. We're going to go back to a guy, you know, you you brought up a very good point, actually, when we're off uh, off mic here, uh, Jamie, to say that um, Randa Randa is actually a team that uh, the three highest shot totals for a single team in the regular season belong to Randa Randa, all of them north of, I believe you said, 57 shots. And one guy who would have played a major factor in that is our prospect of the week, Daniel Borash, uh, who is ranked in the latter stages of the NHL draft. But be curious to see if somebody does take a flyer on him because, well, quite frankly, scoring 40 goals in junior nowadays is a big deal. And he did just that this year. Yeah, like looking at his numbers and stats, I'm a little surprised there's not a little bit more buzz and talk about him. Really, like excellent numbers for an 18 year old. Um, 41 goals, like you mentioned, uh, uh, 70 points in 66 games. You know, next year we're probably looking at 50 goals, 100 points around there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a guy that likes to shoot uh, has a really good shot from the faceoff circle. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see where, if he does get drafted, I'm curious to see where he ends up. Cause he definitely seems like a guy who, uh, could, uh, could find his way to the draft floor, uh, in, in June, um, and was a second round pick in the CHL import draft too. We don't often see a lot of, uh, uh, guys come from the second round to, uh, put up that kind of points as well. Uh, he is Belarusian though, which I think unfortunately will might impact his, uh, his draft status a little bit, just given the logistical issues of, uh, of involving Belarus, Belarus right now. Um, mm-hmm. So that could impact them a little bit. Yeah, for, for sure. But, you know, on merit alone, uh, definitely uh, a guy with uh, solid pro potential. I'm curious, be eager to see uh, what he does, not only in the years to come, but even in this playoff series against Schoenigan. We'll give a, a, a quick uh, rundown of the scores. Obviously, all these games will be over by the time you're listening to this. But uh, the quick run through is Quebec's leading uh, Charlottetown 5-1 early in the third period of that one with a 2-0 series lead. Uh, Gatineau-St. John still tied at one in the third period. Jamie, could you never know. Anything's possible. Um, Gatineau with a 2-0 lead in that series uh, as we speak. Uh, Sherbrooke with a 4-0 lead over uh, the Blainville Boisbriand Armada in the second period. Sherbrooke with a 2-0 lead in that series. Halifax has now roared out to a 5-1 lead. Uh, against Cape Breton Eagles. And this is real time here. Keep in mind, I am clicking on this summary. I just want to see if uh, Alex Doucette has, uh, in fact, uh, added to his goal total. Um, I can tell you he has not. Jordan Dume and Attilio Biasca have the other two Halifax goals. Mathis Russo has an assist, though, possibly the most underrated goal in queue. Uh, three, two nothing series lead for the Moose in that one. Uh, Drumville now a 3-0 on Victoriaville in the second period. That series tied at one apiece. 
Um, we mentioned uh, Ren Rando and their 2-0 lead over Schwinnigan's 1-1 in that series. Uh, Moncton still with a 1-0 lead over Bakemo in the second period. That series tied one apiece. And uh, Ramuski still holding on to that 1-0 lead in the second period. 2-0 Oceanic lead. So could be the upset, which... Uh, Sort of upset, more of an upset if it's a quick series, I guess, Jamie. Yeah, uh, or the biggest surprise yeah. of the first round. So, yeah. uh, big ice, you know, I don't forget. There's, big ice, big I ice, know yeah. exactly. They get back to the big ice, yeah. anything can happen, <laughs> and you'll not be able to hear all about it next week unless Jamie pulls it out, pulls out that Herculean effort, oh, yeah. and uh, decides to uh, bring on a guest and, and have a show. Um, we're not going to hold him to it. And no peer Just going to make him feel real guilty if he doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Jamie. So we will see you in about two weeks' time. We will see everybody else in about two weeks' time as well for uh, round two of the Gilles Corto Trophy playoffs. Until then, he's Jamie Tozer. I'm Will McLaren. This is THN on the Q, brought to you by BetMGM. See you later.